0: Welcome, everyone, to our worship together. If you're here for the first time, my name is Dave. I'm also one of the pastors here, and it's so great to worship with all of you. And as we get into God's Word, we're going to open up to Romans 12 um, as we read God's living real Word, uh, which is given to us for life change in our lives. So Romans 12, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open it up, and I'm going to start reading just verse 3 to 5, I'm going to read. So here's... God's word, living and active, true. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, <clears throat> each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. This is the word of the Lord. We're taking a quick three-week break from Jeremiah to look at a community series as we count down to our community groups. And we've named this series, Not Easily Broken not easily broken. It comes from Ecclesiastes 4, where the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us that a strand of three cords is not easily broken. It's a picture of community and life together. And I love the title um, because, to be honest, during uh, the COVID season, a lot of our communities, our commitment to one another has been easily broken. We've broken our commitment to one another. We've broken our community for the sake of convenience. And so I really want to dig into this and call us back to a committed community together. And I want to start by looking at Paul's letter to the Romans here in Romans 12. Paul opens Romans 12 by telling us that we're called out of this world, that when we look at God's mercy, if we view God's mercy, then we see that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Whenever we see his mercy, that changes in us. But the way we start to do that, the way that actually comes to life, is you have to transform your mind. You have to transform the way that you think. And so today, we're gonna look at a way to shift our paradigm of thinking about ourselves because that's really where everything starts. You know, if you try to change yourself and you've tried to change your life, it always begins by changing the way that you think. And today, Paul is going to tell us that We need to come out of a drunken way of thinking about ourselves and move to a sober way of thinking about ourselves. And when we sober up, what we realize is, oh, I'm in a body. I'm in a body. And that body is the body of Christ. And so today we're going to start there as we start this three-week series in community. And I really pray that your hearts and your minds be open to this because the Lord is going to move some things around today in the way that you think about yourself and this community, he's going to do some work. And so will you pray with me before he starts in your heart? Lord, we we know that there are things that you want to do today in our hearts. We know that there are things that you want to move around. I pray, oh God, make us willing. Make us willing now. Help us to be open to our true and living God, our Savior, to give him access to our hearts and our mind, to give you permission to move things around, because you do it for our good. So I just pray for open minds and hearts today, because your word, living and active, brings us always to a place of blessing. And so bring us there today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we look at Romans 12, he tells us at the beginning the way that we do this, the way that we transform our mind, is we need to think of ourselves soberly. At the beginning of Romans 12, he tells us that we ought to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and that's how things change in our lives. Especially as we come to Christ, he captures our mind and starts to move things around in the way that you think about yourself. And the first thing he says, that was Romans 12, 1-2, right? Those of you who are familiar with the Bibles... Verse 3, he says, here's the first thing. You need to stop thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. You have to start thinking about yourselves soberly. And so he presumes that we have been thinking about ourselves in a drunken way. As we are in the world, we have this perception of ourselves that's not true. We have this perception of ourselves that's influenced by drunkenness. And the drunkenness that he's talking about here is not alcohol, but the drunkenness that he's talking about here is worldliness, worldliness. You see, before we came to Christ and before he saved us, he pulled us out of the pit, we lived in worldliness, and that's how we saw everything. That was our paradigm of thinking, the worldly way of thinking. And here's Romans 1, verse 21. Here we see a picture of what it was like to be drunk before we came to Christ. This is what it was like. In verse 21, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. He says their thinking changed their hearts. And here's the way that they thought. Even though God exists, I don't really care what he has to say. What I have to say about myself is far more important and pertinent to my life than what he has to say. He said that was the drunken way we used to live our lives. And the way that we thought was utterly poisoned. In theology, there's something called the noetic effect, the noetic effect of sin. And what that means is that when sin came into our lives, it didn't just make us sin. It didn't just change our behavior. It didn't just change our speech. But when sin came into our lives, it affected our minds. It affected the way that we think. And it screwed with the way that we think. And the noetic effect of sin is that we see ourselves and everything else in a drunken way. And when we do that, we have become the Bible says, futile in our thinking. And that's what Paul is calling us out of because that way of living is chaotic and lost. You know, it's interesting because even outside of theology and the Bible, even from a philosophical point of view, there's some recognition to this. In the 19th century, the most uh, influential philosopher of that time was a man named Friedrich Nietzsche. Friedrich Nietzsche, he began to tell the story of the madman. The madman came into his village, and when he came into his village, he started to scream to his villagers, God is dead! God is dead! And everybody was confused. The madman continued, and he said, God is dead, and we have killed him. How have we done this? How have we killed him? How have we unchained ourselves from the sun? And he was telling everyone, We killed God. We killed God, and God is dead. And the villagers look at him, and they're confused you have no idea what he's talking about and the madman looks back at his villager and he he says oh i come too early you don't get it you don't understand but i will return we killed god you see frederick nietzsche was that man frederick nietzsche was the madman and he said because we have killed god because we have disconnected ourselves from god the 20th century the next century Will be the bloodiest century in the history of mankind. And he was right. And Frederick Nietzsche was not a believer, but he understood that when humans unchain themselves from God, there's chaos, there's lostness, there's blood. You see, the drunkenness that Paul is talking about in Romans and the lostness that Nietzsche was talking about was human beings deciding that they know better than God and calling for their own prescription of life, their own identity that came out of our own thinking. And Paul says, when we started to do that, we became drunk and futile in our thinking. And he says here that when we are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, not only does he bring us to a place of salvation, but he not only transforms the way that we live and behave and talk, but he begins to transform our minds. You see, Be transformed by the renewing of your minds and what our thinking, what happens to it is we go from drunkenness to soberness. And we go from thinking too highly of ourselves to thinking in humility under the light of God. Every person who's had a problem with alcohol has had this morning. I've had this morning and others have had this morning. The morning where you wake up and you say, Oh my gosh, my head is killing me, I'm hungover but did I really say that last night? Did I really do that last night? Oh my gosh. Tell me that it was a dream. Did I actually say those things and do those things? And their friends say, yes, you did do those things. Yes, you did say those things. And now, this morning, as you've sobered up, you have to live with the consequences of what you did last night. Sometimes they're innocuous things. But other times, they're deadly serious things. Sometimes you've gotten behind a wheel and you've struck a child because you drove drunk. Sometimes you've cheated on your spouse because you were drunk. You see, we have to live with the consequences of drunkenness. And Paul is telling us that when we live drunken lives, God pulls us out of that and he renews our minds. But sometimes that drunkenness remains within us. And the way that we think about ourselves It's still kind of drunk. And we think too highly of ourselves than we should. That's the worldly way of thinking, thinking of ourselves too highly. And so, as Christians, sometimes we wake up and we think, oh my gosh, my head is killing me. Did I actually say those things? Did I actually believe those things? Did I actually do those things? And your friends say, yeah, you actually said those things. You actually believed those things. You thought that you don't need community. You thought that that discipleship didn't matter. You actually thought that you can be a Christian and grow as a Christian and not do community. You were crazy. You were insane last night because you didn't live under the light of God, but you had a drunken view of yourself. You thought you were so, so high and mighty that you didn't need the church to grow. Paul says we have to wake up from this drunken stupor that we live in and we have to start looking at ourselves in a sober way. See yourselves soberly and what he means by that is when you see yourself soberly and you start to wake up and see clearly and you look around you think, oh my gosh, I'm part of a body. I'm not an island. I know I was drunk and I know I was seeing wrong things, but I I realize now I am actually part of a body. And that's the drunkenness that Paul calls us to wake up from. Read verse 4 with me. Right after he says that, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Wake up from your drunkenness. Think soberly. He says, 4. This is what I'm talking about. 4 connection there for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function so we though many are one body in christ and individually members of one another he says when we start to think soberly about ourselves we realize that we are in a body interconnected with one another you see, when Jesus saves you and he starts to save your mind in the way that you think, you wake up to the realization that you are interconnected with the body. And this whole time you thought that you were an island. And you realize, oh, I am part of a body. And I've been acting like I wasn't part of a body. I was a member of Mosaic, though. I used to come every Sunday, though. But I acted like a drunkard and I acted like I didn't need them. I was drunk. And that has consequences, brothers and sisters. You know, a body that doesn't realize that it's in a body is a very dangerous thing. I looked up what cancer was, because cancer has taken so many of our loved ones, and I actually looked it up this week. What is cancer exactly? Because I never actually understood what it was. And I realized, as I read all the articles about what cancer is explained in layman's terms, that essentially, you know, our bodies are made up of trillions of cells, and cancer, is when a part of your body, some of those cells decide that it's not actually part of the body, that it doesn't actually need the rest of the body. And what it starts to do is it starts to hoard resources and grow selfishly and keep growing and growing in the body. And the immune system says, stop, 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 stop. The whole body, we need these resources. This is not all for you. You're not supposed to just hoard and get huge like that and become a tumor. But cancer is the cell that ignores the immune system and says, no, I'm going to do me, and continues to spread and spread within the body. That's what it's like when a body doesn't know that it's part of a body. That's when someone doesn't understand that they are actually part of an interconnected body. That's what happens in the body, and it begins to... Invade other parts of the body. You see, this is what Paul is calling us to wake up from. Wake up from this thinking that we don't need anyone because what happens is we begin to get twisted in our thinking, drunk in our thinking. He calls us to sober up. And when we don't realize that we're part of a body in our identity in Christ, then things go wrong. You know, you may have heard more and more these days something called gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is something that happens to a lot of young people these days and even older people, and essentially this is what it is. Gender dysphoria is when someone in their mind believes that they are someone else than what their body is. That they're born one gender in the body, but their mind thinks that they're something or someone else. That's called dysphoria, dissonance in that body, in that person, and that brings a lot of pain and suffering to that person when their thinking and their body does not align. We should have compassion for those who suffer from gender dysphoria. But when you, brothers and sisters, call yourself a Christian, a member of the body of Christ, but reject the community of the body, you have dysphoria. You have a spiritual dysphoria because you are trying to reject who Jesus has made you. You are trying to reject the reality and the truth of who you are in Christ. But the reality of it is, in the Western church, let's just admit it. Many people in the Western church, I don't know the Eastern church as well as I should, but I know our church here in the Western hemisphere. Many people in the Western church have decided to live in spiritual dysphoria. You know, many of us have tried to figure out this straddle, right? This careful balance of coming to a church and benefiting from a church and receiving what the church has to offer, but just getting involved enough where no, they don't ask anything of you, right? That's a hard balance, but we all try it. Many of us do you know that if you get a little bit too involved that they're going to ask you to sacrifice, they're going to suck you in, they're going to ask you of things, they're going to take your time and, your, and maybe even your money and, and maybe you know, even your, your effort and your love. And so we're trying to figure out this careful balance. We feel like we could trick Jesus that maybe we could be a part of this church, benefit from it, but not be sucked into the body. You know, drunkenness, drunken thinking has consequences. Dysphoria is painful. But many of us have tried to straddle this for many years in the church. How could you not be stagnant in your faith when you reject who you are? Paul says we have to wake up from this drunken way of thinking about ourselves and even now, I believe, even now, many of us are rejecting the truth that God is saying about you. You're saying, no, I get it. You guys are trying to start community groups, right? Right? You guys are trying to get us to sign up for community groups. We get it. We get the pitch, right? Um, so three weeks, you talk about community groups, and we get more people to sign up. Now we get it. I've heard this kind of thing many times. Many churches. I get what you're doing. I'll wait it out. You still reject the truth that God is bringing to you about you. My brothers and sisters, this is not a sales pitch. Paul is not selling the Romans about joining small groups, is he? Paul is telling them about who they actually are in Christ. And today, this is not a sales pitch, to join community groups. Today, the Lord is telling you about who you actually are. This is your spiritual biology. And today, you have a choice to believe God or not, to choose the drunkenness of worldliness, and to say, I know better than the Lord. Although they knew God and they knew of him, they decided not to honor him. They decided not to hear him. And they continued in the way of living and became futile in their minds and became foolish in their hearts. My brothers and sisters, this is not a pitch. This is God telling you about who we are in Christ. I pray that today that the Lord moves your heart to believe your own God. What does that mean then? What does it mean that, okay, so I'm a body. What does that mean? For us, when I look at this passage and I look at what Paul is telling us in this passage, it means at least two things. When he says that we're body in this passage, he's telling us that we are to depend on one another and commit to one another. When you look at this, read it again with me, verse four and five. For as in one body we have many members, the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. I think what you see here is a great dependence that we are called to have on each other in the body. And God is saying that the body that you carry, in your body, I guess, the body that you live in is actually a living illustration of what I'm trying to tell you. You know, when you look at the body, it's really amazing how interconnected, but also how interdependent the systems are in the body. When you look at the respiratory system, it's amazing how dependent the respiratory system is on the circulatory system. It depends fully on the circulatory system to carry the oxygen and the carbon dioxide that's inside of our bodies. It depends on the the circulatory system to carry out its function. It's amazing how the muscular system depends on the skeletal system. And if it were not for the skeletal system, we would just be a lump of meat on the ground. And it depends on the skeletal system. And how the digestive system depends on the urinary system, and even the reproductive system depends on our nervous system. God says, Look at your own body. Don't you see? I've made you a living illustration, and you walk in your own living illustration 24 7. You are a body, which means we are called to open up and depend on one another in the body of Christ. That's what he means. We don't all serve the same function, and we need each other in order to mature and be the person God has called us to be, which is the exact opposite of the worldly definition of what maturity is. The worldly definition of maturity is that you don't need anybody, right? You're a grown-up. Take care of yourself. You don't need anybody. But when you look at the Bible, what you see is a polar opposite description of what maturity is. Maturity in the Bible means someone who recognizes their need and says, I need people. I need my community. I need you, my brother. I need you, my sister. And God says, you're maturing. You're growing up. You know, even I, as your pastor, I I have come to recognize this need in myself. And, you know, we, I made this big push, right, at Mosaic to have elders, And, you know, on one hand, it's because we need to grow as a community and to mature as a community, but on the other hand, it's because I needed elders. I needed elders for me. I needed a group of dedicated, godly, trained brothers that I could go to and have with me. And if it weren't for them, I think my ministry and my life would be a, um, a much sadder place. I can't. I don't even remember the number of times I've reached out to them and said, guys, I'm just really in a bad place this week and I really need your prayers this week. I'm really discouraged. In fact, this week I did it on Wednesday. I was having just a really hard time. And so I messaged the elders and I said, guys, I really need your prayers. I'm having a really a tough time. And the elders, with their big hearts, they've reached out and prayed for me. And I know that when they say that they'll pray for me, they actually do pray for me because I feel the effects. And I need them. And even the staff, um, our pastoral staff, those of you who have been on staff and others in the past who have been there, they've had meetings where I just show up and I just sit down and I say, guys, I'm really just not doing well. I'm not doing well. And I really need your prayers. I'm down. And I remember times when I go to them and say, I'm not even sure why I'm down. I'm just having a really, really hard week. And I depend on them. But you know, it's hard to do that. It's hard to do that because everything about me doesn't want to be that guy. You know, I, I want to be the strong leader. And I want to be the person who's so consistently strong. And, and, I, and I, I always want to be kind of that pillar for my leadership teams. I mean, and just honestly, like, I just want to be liked, you know, by people. And I want to be respected by people. And um, every time I do that, I feel like I'm going against that. I feel like every time I, you know, reach out to the elders and just... Because sometimes I think, like, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with this guy? Like, every three weeks, like, there's something wrong with him. Like, every three weeks, like, he's so broken and torn apart. And there's a fear inside of me that they'll say, like, I don't know. Dave, he's just, he's just so broken. <laughs> and um, sometimes, I've, you know, I feel like... <laughs> I I shouldn't do that, but because, you know, I want to be that kind of guy. Like, I just want to be always there and always ready to give and always steady and always strong. And I want to be the person to always help everybody else. I'm the preacher, you know. I preach more than anybody here, and I'm the preacher. I'm the fountain of the word for you guys I give to you guys, and I'm the fountain of life for Mosaic, and that's who I want to be. And it's in those moments that God says, you stupid little boy, you stupid little boy, you're so proud, so drunk, so sinful, so worldly. Nobody is the fountain of life in this church except me. Nobody is the head of this church except me. You think you're the head of this church because you're the lead pastor? (laughs) I'm the head of this church, which means that everybody else, including you, Dave, are body. Depend on one another. Depend on Mosaic. Depend on people. You try to be the head. You try to be Jesus. You try to be self-sufficient. You try to be the fountain of life. You're going to break yourself. I've had God rebuke me many times about that. That I'm not the head of this church. I'm not able to do that. Because I need just like you. And I think the Lord tells tells me in those moments, there's nothing wrong with that, because I have made you that way, because Dave, you are body. You need each other. My brothers and sisters, what does it mean that Jesus says, you are body? that you are members of this body, it means that you have to depend on each other. And you have to admit your dependence on community and stop being drunk with pride and thinking that you don't need anybody, that you could do spiritual life on your own. He says, you little boy, you little girl, wake up from your stupor. Depend on each other. The second thing I think it means that we are body is that we are called to commit to one another. Commit to one another. Read verse 4 and 5 with me one more time. It says this. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, though, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually, members one of another. Members one of another. It's the most intense way to talk about commitment. The most intense way to talk about Commitment. Last night I had a a couple here. I'm not going to embarrass them. They're in the room. They got married last night. Uh, (laughs) Congratulations. Um, But I told them that the most intense way that God tells us about commitment is not to say, hey, you commit to her and you commit to him. But what, what does he say instead? He says, you are her. She is you. Commitment, you are one another. From God's point of view, there's no spiritual distinction between them. That's the craziest and most intense way of talking about commitment I have ever heard. He says, husbands, love your wives because no one ever hated their own body. But we always feed our body, care for our body, take care of our body. In the same way, love your wife because she is now your body. It's the most intense way of talking about commitment because there's no way out of being yourself. My brothers and sisters, that's the same kind of language that he uses talking about our church, our community. He says, you are members one of another. A kind of commitment that he's calling us to is intense. He's calling us to a new profound way of commitment and we need to hear and heed that call today. And I just want to share with you that I think that if you guys, I mean, if you guys know me, right, if you guys know me, you know that I'm pretty laid back. You know, I'm a pretty laid back guy. And um, I think that there's some good things to that. Um, but I'm just kind of the, oh, no, it's okay. Like, you know, it's all right. It's, it'll be fine. Like, if you're late, ah, no problem. Like, you know, if you're, uh, if you're not there, it's okay. Like, I'll give you, a, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll catch you up and... That's kind of my personality. Part of that is I just want to be liked by everybody, right? It's just kind of the way I am. Inevitably, though, what happens is the disposition of the leader starts to seep into the disposition of the organization. And I think that something that has happened at Mosaic since that I've become your pastor is that my disposition has seeped into the culture of our church, And it's created a kind of low-commitment culture. And for that, I'm sorry. And, and for that, um, I apologize to you. Because when I look at Scripture, that is not body. When I look at Scripture, that's not the church. That's not who he's called us to be in Jesus Christ. And uh, I I can't help but to feel partly responsible for that. Sign up if you're free, you know. Oh, come if you can. Please come out. You don't respond to my emails, it's okay. If you don't want to sign up for community group, you just want to keep coming on Sunday and blast out right afterwards, it's okay. We're just glad you're here devaluing our community groups, devaluing our leadership, not responding and not upholding your end of the bargain, even when you serve on a ministry team. I can't help but to feel partly responsible for that. And for that, I'm sorry. But together, I think, brothers and sisters, what we do need to do as a church is to respond with a newfound, heightened level of commitment to one another. Me included. I think that we need to respond to God's word as he says that you are body, which means that you must be intensely, deeply committed to one another because you are each other. You are members of one another. I love the direction that our community groups are going because I believe that that's what we need at Mosaic. We will be held to a new level of commitment, and I think that we need that because the Holy Spirit is doing something new among us. And in view of his mercy, when we look at the mercy of Jesus Christ, it can happen, and a newfound blessing will take place, I believe, at our church.